Survivor. My name is Ashley Hollick. I am a certified coach and owner of Phoenix Rise Coaching, and welcome to the Thriving After Abuse podcast. Inspiration, tools, and modalities for survivors. My very long story short is that in November of 2020, I healed 12 years of chronic debilitating back pain, and it was with mindset work. My physical pain was actually emotional trauma of an abusive relationship in my teens. My mission now is to spread awareness that this is even possible, because I didn't believe it, to inspire survivors of abuse that healing is 100% attainable and to share tools, techniques, and modalities to begin and continue your healing journey. On this podcast, I will be sharing my own personal knowledge and experience as well as bringing you experts in the trauma healing field. Welcome home. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thriving After Abuse podcast. My name is Ashley Hollick. I am the host, and I would like to introduce a special guest today. Her name is Alyssa Smith, and she is a trauma-informed life strategist. She's been featured in Forbes and Fox 59 Morning News for her strategies that help women through emotional triggers, trauma, and self-sabotage. She's joining us today to help us get out of survival mode and moving forward. So welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thank you so much, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, thank you. Do you want to first tell us what it means to be a trauma-informed life strategist? Absolutely. So when I first became a coach strategist about eight, nine years ago, I wanted to help women do things like set boundaries and free themselves from their past pain. And so as I started to work with women, I realized I really wanted to specialize in something that was trauma-informed, which basically just means I got training in specifically how to help women overcome trauma in their life and get free of the symptoms of trauma, which not everyone recognizes. So as a life strategist who is trauma-informed, I spend my time educating women about the symptoms of trauma and helping them understand what survival mode actually is and how to go from just barely surviving and staying in that mode to listening to their gut instincts, trusting themselves, moving forward in freedom. Awesome. I love that. That's amazing. So why don't we dive right in and we can discuss how our brains respond to stress. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what it feels like to be stressed, right? I mean, I'm certain that this whole audience understands that concept. What we don't always realize is that the feeling of, quote, being stressed is an automatic response by the nervous system that is set off by the amygdala in the brain. And I'm not going to go deep into all of the terminology and the parts of the body and things, but I just want to kind of simplify it. And what happens is your right brain, that place where the amygdala is, its only job is to keep you alive. And because that's its job, it scans for threats constantly. And if you have been through something scary or unsafe at any point in your life, and this could be little, what I call little T traumas or big T traumas. So little T traumas would be like, sort of chronic negative self-beliefs that got planted in there somehow, but no one was actually necessarily abusing you. You just kind of got these negative beliefs or you had little needs that went unmet. Maybe you didn't learn how to handle big emotions as a child. Maybe you didn't always have the full attention of the caregiver that you wanted. And those can still register as these little traumas. And then there are big T traumas, abusive relationships, any kind of attack on your person, anything that's any disaster, natural disaster that you live through, losing a home, not having enough to eat, things like that. Those are big T traumas. So when you have experienced any of those things, your brain registers, it could be unsafe any moment. And so it will look 
for what we would call stressors. And whether it's that you're five minutes late for an appointment or that you actually are running from a wild animal for your life, it doesn't have a different response. It has the same response to both scenarios. It will always be prepared to help you do the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And some people haven't heard of fawn. That just means please your way to safety. Most of us know fight, flight, freeze, but that last one is important to recognize as well. So that's what happens. Happens, is that it when your brain perceives something could be unsafe, whoop, there's a stressor, then it picks one of those four modes that we go into typically. And that is where we end up in survival mode. And along with this comes a lot of other stuff. And we can get into this more as we talk, but there are actual systems in the body that shut down or rev up depending on where the what the trigger is and things like that. So it's a very physical response to an emotional or mental or physical trigger. Okay. So you're saying that any type of stress is going to trigger the same reaction, correct? So it could be, you know, you're running a little bit late or that, you know, you feel that you're being followed or something. So it's, it triggers the same response. And how is this stress going to affect us, you know, mentally, physically, all the things? Okay, so because of what the survival brain does with this information, there's a stressor, there's a threat. Because of what it does every time with that information, if we don't regulate it, then over time, the results can be devastating and catastrophic with your mental, physical, and emotional health. So here's what actually happens. The brain will tell your heart rate to speed up. Because logically speaking, if we're running from a wild animal, which is what it's programmed to help you do, then you're going to need the extra blood flow. You're probably also either going to hold your breath, which helps with oxygen retention for like a short sprint, or you're going to speed up the breathing and it's, you're going to be short of breath. And so when those things happen, you're going to feel if, if you're sitting at your desk and you just got an email that you don't like, and you have that response you're like, your body is ready to run. I mean, you've got adrenaline, you've got cortisol going in your body. Like there's all kinds of stuff happening. Then the other things that we don't notice as much. So you'll probably notice muscle tension. You'll probably notice that you're short of breath or that your heart is racing. You might notice a stomach ache, but here are the two things that happen. So you're, there are three systems that sort of just shut down when you're in that survival mode, because you don't need them if you're running for a short distance to get to the nearest tree. So one is your digestive system. A lot of times we will feel a stomach ache or like cramping or feel like you have acid in your stomach or your intestines are weird. And either your digestive system will completely stop or it will speed up. It's trying to make sure that your body is not using any energy for anything that's unnecessary in that short sprint. So that's the digestive system that kind of goes offline. Then we also have the immune system that goes offline. Nobody needs to fight the flu for the next 25 yards running from a bear. And your brain knows that. So it's like, listen, this is unnecessary. If we're just talking a short distance, short period of time, let's turn it off. We're not going to deal with that. And then the reproductive system is another thing. So I have lots of friends and, and clients who have gone through infertility and they are constantly being told, reduce your stress, reduce your stress. But this is why, because if your body perceives that, hey, listen, if we don't have all this stress response going on, we could be eaten by a bear, then reproduction is not high on the priority list in that moment. It's a really high survival instinct, not when you're under a threat. So those three systems just sort of, stop working. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If we stay in that moment or in that trigger where we feel threatened for a period of time that's longer than the body was intending. So let's say back in caveman time, something you run from the saber tooth cat, you get away from the saber tooth cat, you look around, saber tooth cat's gone, you're safe, you regulate. But here in the world of DMs going off, Facebook comparison happening, meetings and virtual and Zoom and everyone's in everyone's business all the time. The internet's there. The kids are calling you. You're there. You're, you've got family of origin who are whatever, judging you or needing you or whatever it is. When is your moment to regulate? So we don't regulate as much now as we would have needed to back then. And so we stay in this survival mode. And what happens? The adrenaline continues to flow. We get adrenal fatigue. 
the cortisol continues to flow. We stop being able to produce cortisol. That's one of the things that happened to me. We have chronic fatigue. We have like you and I were just talking about IBS and, and some of these other things that are happening in the digestive tract, constipation, you know, and, and eventually, you know, God forbid, but things like cancers can form. And that I have a colleague who's a cancer specialist who can look at a client and go, hey, what was happening to you 10 or 15 years ago, 20 years ago? And they'll tell him something very traumatic that happened. And then he'll be like, okay, I want you to go to work on that. And in the meantime, we're going to treat the cancer. So it's this whole interconnectedness in the body. And so over time, it can result in all kinds of things. And as we talked about before, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is an amazing expert in how stress and trauma particularly affect the body at a cellular level. And he has a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. And that kind of delineates specific, it's, it's very, it's very in-depth. <laughs> so I'll give you a word. Yes, but it's it a is very a book, book <laughs> right? You know about this book. It's a great way to understand the detail of how the brain perceives trauma. I mean, everything from, there's like a whole protocol when a trauma happens. Like there's a little black mark that you can see in a brain scan when someone has experienced a big T trauma. And around that mark, they can say there's amnesia there. And because we don't often feel traumatized as adults about things that happened when we were younger, because we have that survival mode so ingrained. So anyway, that's, that is what can happen long-term if we're not looking at how to change the neuropathways that deal with the stress. Yes. And so I remember those two things that you said that aren't always talked about is that it affects your, your stomach, your GI, and it also affects your immune system. And I mean, is it safe to kind of say that if you have trauma and you're still dealing with the stress of it, like that it could lead to these other issues? I mean, I feel like that's a direct correlation to why people have all these stomach issues and all of these autoimmune disorders because of how much like havoc that the stress causes on our bodies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because think about it. If you go without your immune system fully functioning, they actually can prove, I'm not an expert in this particular part of it, but I want to say it's the, is it the white blood cells that are the little soldiers, like your little immune, your immune system, whichever, whichever type of cell it is, there is a, they are unable to be produced when the chemicals for stress are going through the body. And so you're not able to actually have there's a, another expert, his name's Joe Dispenza, and he has a whole line of case studies, right? On these kinds of things. I listened to a talk by him and he was talking about this, the, the repairing cells just are not doing anything because why would you need to repair when you're running from here to the nearest tree to get away from a wild animal? You don't need to repair anything, but you can't heal. So pain, chronic pain can happen. You can't digest things properly. So you get out of alignment in your gut. And actually, this is really one of the things that I foundationally talk to my clients about right now, because it's so important, but there are actually more neurons in the intestines than in the brain. And so people call it like your gut instincts. It's that's not a misnomer. Your your intestines, if you are connected with your gut instincts, if you're listening to your body, you're listening to that second brain, or some people call it the first brain now because so much is known about it now that wasn't before. So yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you turn off the access to your gut instincts or to your digestive system for a prolonged period of time, Coming out of my traumatic, toxic relationship, I went down this health path because I'm like, well, what is wrong with my body? I don't even know. But now I feel like I can finally focus on it. And we did all these this testing and we figured out that literally I was missing two whole types of bacteria that are basic bacteria that are supposed to be in your gut. I just didn't have them in my intestines. And so it was apparently a toxic enough environment that those kinds of bacteria died off inside my poor body after all of the trauma. And I laugh now because I'm like, what the heck? But back then it was just like, I just don't feel good and I don't know why. And so now it's amazing because of all the healing that can happen once you understand it. And I feel amazing today. And my clients feel amazing today when, when they first came to me, they're saying, you know, I've got this inflammation, I've got this, it's inexplicable. And then we get to through the, the process together and they have their answers and they feel much, much better. 
I think the education is so important. I healed my pain before I had all of the education, but you know, for a period of time, like the first six months, I didn't tell anybody that my pain was gone because after 12 years of having it and, you know, complaining about it a lot and like not doing things because my back hurt so bad, I was like, I don't really know what happened. I don't know how I healed it. I don't understand it at all. To me, it felt magic. And I thought if I told people like they would, one, they would not believe me or two, they would think I was making it up the whole 12 years or just using it as an excuse to not pick things up. Cause I would drop something at work and be like, I can't get it. And so I didn't tell anyone for a long time because I didn't understand it and I didn't believe it. And then I finally started researching it more and I got the body keeps the score. And so educating myself about how trauma actually changes your brain completely. It rewires your brain. It makes parts of your brain shut down and learning about how it actually affects our bodies. It was like, oh, okay, well, now there's science involved (laughs) and there's there's actual studies that have been done. It's not just magic. Yeah. I was like, it's not just magic. (laughs) And so I think educating yourself, especially if you're listening to this and you're a little skeptical and you think no physical pains come from physical things, educating yourself and just starting to read and hearing all these stories. And I've met so many people who have similar experiences to mine as well. And I just think it's such an important piece of it is, you know, awareness and then education. Absolutely. Well, and this this goes to another point about the survival mode, because one of the other things that we lose access to, and I've just talked about the physical things, one of the other things that we lose access to when we are in a stressed mode, when we're triggered, when we're being traumatized, when we're not feeling safe, when we're hypervigilant because of a past trauma, all of those things put us into that survival mode, which takes the left brain, which is the logical, rational brain, for all intents and purposes, it goes offline. We don't need the left brain to survive in those 10 to 15 seconds when we're running away from that animal. We don't, no one needs to do calculus. Like we're not trying to like make an amazing, you know, debate or something and have intelligent, logical thinking. We're just running from the saber tooth hat. The, The right brain just says like, let's just get out of here. We don't need anything. And the, and the left brain is cool with that. Like, it's like, yep, right brain, you do your thing. It's like martial law, you know, like the right brain just takes over. It's running the show. Nobody else is going to get a word in edgewise, which is why you can't talk yourself out of it, by the way. The right brain is not interested in words. It's not interested in logic. So the logical part of the brain, we just don't have access to that higher level decision-making, that higher level thinking when we're in that survival mode or when we're in a trigger. So if we're operating at that place for a while, it becomes this sort of brain fog where we're unable to really see clearly. We start to doubt ourselves. If you've been in, a, in an abusive relationship, any gaslighting that you got from that toxic person, any things that were based in some sort of truth, like for me, I knew that my tendency is to be codependent and controlling back in those days. And I didn't really know that that wasn't my fault. I thought that I was just a super controlling person and that I just needed to work on it and whatever. And so my abuser also somewhere in in his mind knew that that was something he could say to me and I would back off of asking for what I needed because I knew that somehow like if he could if I said this doesn't work for me he would say well but you're so controlling and you just expect perfection and I would say yeah maybe I do do I do I no I don't do I because you don't have access to the left brain it's really difficult to operate when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship it's really hard to operate after trauma because we just don't have access to the logical part of the brain until we feel regulated and safe. And like until the vagus nerve, which is sort of in charge of all this in the body, feels like we're not going to be attacked. Like it could calm down and we could be at rest. Everything you're saying, I'm just like, I have chills. I'm like, yep, I know that feeling. And, and it's like you lose connection. You said to the gut feeling, you lose connection to your intuition too, because you're being told like that you're not worthy and all these terrible things and you're being gaslit too. So it's like, you're being told that you're crazy and that what you think is happening isn't really happening. And so it cuts off the the connection to, you know, yourself and your intuition. Absolutely. There's another great doctor, Dr. Manwala, Omar Manwala, who specializes in betrayal trauma. If betrayal was a part of the abuse, 
And what he talks about, which I think applies to anyone who's in an emotionally abusive relationship or, or otherwise, he talks about the idea that if you are in that relationship and you are not the one in power, then what happens is that every time we have a feeling, a thought, or a decision to make that goes against what the one in power really wants or what we think that they will want, what we project on them that they will want or what will make them unhappy, we have a decision either to erode our relationship with that person in power, which which is very unsafe unless you have the right tools and resources and support, or to erode the relationship with our gut instincts, which is much safer if we don't know how to get out of the relationship safely. And so depending on how many times you chose the uh, making the other person happy in order to save your own safety versus choosing yourself and choosing to listen to your gut instincts, your gut instincts will eventually just start coming out in, in body problems, like medical issues, because having a slight stomach ache isn't enough to have you choose yourself when it, there's an unsafe moment and you choose the abuser, which might be the safest choice in that moment. Regardless, if that stomach ache doesn't work, your body is going to go to work and be like, okay, listen, we need you to listen. This We have to speak louder. And you're going to be less in tune, less attuned with yourself. Safe and secure attachment with self equals attunement with everything that's going on in our bodies and in our minds and emotions and spiritually. If we don't have, if it's not safe to be attuned to ourselves because it's like, I can't do anything to help this. I'm trapped then we have to shut it all out. And that's when the body starts acting out sideways. And it's not like the body is setting out to like really make us mad or something or really whatever, really attack us. But it's like, it just can't keep functioning when we are so misaligned. Wow, that's so incredible. Definitely going to need those resources. We'll probably link them in the show notes so people can read all of these books that we're talking about because that's incredible. (laughs) I just love it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the difference is between PTSD and CPTSD? I feel like the second is something I've just learned about in the last couple of years. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Most of us kind of know what that means. If somebody's been through a big trauma, for example, the 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 example that I use most of the time is like if you have a Vietnam veteran that came back from Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan and they come back and they've seen battle And then every time they hear something, smell something, see something that reminds their survival brain of those moments in battle, and they haven't had a space to process it, they're going to mentally and emotionally go back to that battle moment. So for example, I had someone that was a friend of the family, Vietnam vet, and he worked in an area of the military where they were in Vietnam and it always smelled like cut grass because they were always dropping like chemicals on the area to, to cut down the vegetation. And so when he would be here, like, cause that was, I don't know, however many years and years and years ago, but even until the, you know, the last five years or 10 years, he would say like, yeah, if I, I would ask him like, do you still, does the smell of cut grass still take you back there? And he'd be like, yeah, I just have to block it out. And so that's what we think of most of the time when we PTSD. Okay. Soldier hears thunder, they drop to the ground, it takes them back to the battle. So that's true for any kind of big T trauma. If there was an attack, if you, you know, God forbid, if there was physical abuse as a child, things like that. CPTSD is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm I'm a coach strategist. And so what I share is based on my own research. And I encourage people to go look up their own information on this, but there is a distinct difference between CPTSD and PTSD. CPTSD is for when there was an extended period of time of lack of safety. So we're not talking like a month, a few months, we're talking like years in most cases. Now, I will say that anytime that you are thinking a certain way for six to nine months, that becomes your new neuropathway. So if you weren't in an abusive relationship and then you were, and that person began conditioning you to think differently about yourself and not trust yourself, which is what happened to me, it happens to a lot of, a lot of women, especially, 
then by the end of a year, you've got CPTSD going on, most likely, unless you have some superhuman skills or like you recognize what was going on. You, you have, have like, all, the, all the tools in the toolbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not super likely if you stayed for a year. But you know, for someone like me, it was decades. It was years and years of being conditioned. And so when that happens, again, I'm not diagnosing anyone. I'm not saying if you've been through abuse, then you for sure have CPTSD. But the way that it looks a bit different is that PTSD can be triggered by specific things. Going into a place that looks, smells, the same as the trauma moment. CPTSD is a constant hypervigilance. That's one of the hallmark signs of it. Constant hypervigilance and a deep down fear and belief that I cannot keep myself safe and I am not to be trusted. So the belief that I am not to be trusted, I cannot trust myself, my instincts. I can't trust my thoughts, my decisions. I can't trust even that I'm feeling what I'm feeling. That is a sign of emotional abuse that has been prolonged. And when that happens, a lot of times, most of us have something in childhood that led us to believe that that kind of being programmed, reprogrammed was okay, that it was fine for that person to reprogram us that way. But for the most part, that relationship will have the outcome of the person who survives it, having been abused over a period of time, having some sort of complex trauma to work through because it's not just about let's work through that mem- that one memory okay you know and it's not to say that one is worse than the other because being attacked being in battle all of those are very very valid traumas but then if you look at the CPTSD it's not we're not just going after like how did you feel when he said that to you we're going after you don't believe what you're seeing with your own eyes because of what you've been through and therefore we have to start at a very sort of ground level, but rebuilding from the ground up of who you see yourself as. And one of the things I love to do with my clients is I let them know at the beginning, my goal is to help you find your gut instincts again, to help you show up as that person that you know that you want to be or could be. Most of the women that come to me who have been through, not all of my clients have been through emotional abuse or physical abuse, but the ones that do, they'll come and they'll say, I just, I just miss the person I used to be. And I miss that person who didn't have these chronic symptoms. I miss the person who could get out and exercise when she wanted to. I miss the person who could just decide that there's something she wants to do and go do it. And I don't have that capacity anymore. And the the great news is there is so much hope. There are all these amazing strategies that are very simple that we can put into place. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that difference because, you know, it's kind of hard to know what exactly it is. And I feel, I don't know if this is a new term, but like I said, I'd only heard about it two years ago. So that makes a lot of sense how you explained it. And my next questions were kind of, you know, are they treated in different ways and is it possible to heal both? And you kind of answered it there. They are treated in different ways because you have to treat, you know, the specific event for PTSD and then the CPTSD, it's you kind of have to treat the deeper issues and work through all of those. And you said that it is possible and that is amazing. Can you share like one little success story with one of your clients that you have? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll say this too as far as the treatment goes, you can, as far as therapy goes, like I'm not a therapist, but I work alongside a trauma treatment practice where the therapist is has mul- multiple certifications in trauma treatment for her clients. Both types of trauma and, and stress disorder can be treated with similar modalities in therapy. So while as a coach, I'm going, or as a strategist, I'm going to kind of get deep into where did this belief about yourself start. I work mostly with people who are going to tend toward the CPTSD because we're working with negative mindsets and things like that. But in a therapy practice, the two types of therapy that I recommend for any kind of trauma, one is EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming, which you may know about. And that is something that Dr. Vessel van der Kolk also supports heavily. And a an offshoot of EMDR technique therapy is flash technique therapy. And I like this one the best of all for anybody who has any trauma, because in EMDR, you have to go back and revisit the memory and kind of feel it and process it, which is not a bad thing in most cases, but it is kind of heavy work. 
flash technique therapy, there's a positive aging focus that the whole session, the whole flash technique session revolves around using the same type of idea as EMDR. But actually, in my opinion, I've seen it in my experience, I've seen it work a little quicker and it's a happier process. So I just wanted to put that in there. Flashtechnique.com is a great place to find a therapist for that. Okay, so I wanted to say that. And now you were asking me, oh, 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 for a success story. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This this one is, I don't, it's not about leaving the toxic relationship. It's actually a client that I currently have. She's in my year-long one-to-one VIP program. And when we first started working together, and she's coming out of a toxic, abusive relationship, and she was setting boundaries for the first time with her partner and trying to figure out like, is this, are we going to heal from this? Are we not going to heal from this? And she was going through something with her family of origin. And this is where I find it's really helpful to go back and reparent ourselves from things that were dysfunctional about our family of origin. And she was had a dilemma about whether or not to have to to be the caregiver, the hero child that she had always been in her family, even though now she's, you know, midlife. And she was being faced with the choice of, well, not it wasn't really a choice in her mind. She just automatically said, yes, my my mother who is ill is going to come live with me. I happened to know at that point of working with her that that was not a real healthy relationship from an outsider's perspective. And, and that she had mentioned that it wasn't easy and that she could be easily triggered. And I knew she was working on this abuse recovery. And so through a couple of sessions, we just sort of I kind of got to like, what is the underlying belief that would make you say yes when you mean no? And so she got to this place where she was like, I have to tell her no. I have to say no. Nobody in her family minded. This was the interesting thing. And this is what happens to us when we have a way of thinking about ourselves that we have to be the one that rescues. We have to be the one that says yes. We can't be a burden on anyone else. We have to pick up the the slack. We have to, you know, so a lot of times women who end up in abusive relationships, that's the line that we've been towing. And so she said, no. She said, I love you. This won't be a good time for me. She communicated it to her siblings in a loving way. And her survival brain began freaking out. This is what everyone's afraid of when we set boundaries, right? It's like, I don't, I think I would freak everyone's out gonna if I hate set that me. <laughs> Everyone's going to hate me. Yeah. And even though nobody minded her own inner critic was so active that it took for my VIP clients, we do boxer access and we do voice messaging back and forth. And so we were voice messaging every day that week. And it was kind of like, okay, is this still the right decision for you? Yes. Okay. So what do you do to support yourself? So I specialize in those strategies to help women support themselves as they make the crazy. I mean, it's not crazy, but it, it seems impossible. Those changes that set us up to actually prioritize me for the first time, prioritize ourselves. So we have to help the survival brain feel safe as we make the changes so that we don't go outside our window of tolerance. Our window of tolerance is how much change we could make without going into survival mode and sabotaging ourselves. So that's what I love to see. And she made that decision and she was looking back on that recently and was like, wow, look where I was last year. And now look where I am. She regularly sets boundaries with everyone in her life and it doesn't set her brain on fire, <laughs> you know? So I love seeing things like that, but she stuck with it. She did the work. It takes the six to nine months, right? For the brain to reprogram a little bit at a time. And it's such a gentle, it has to be so gentle because we don't want to put the survival brain back on alert as we do the good changes. It's your host, Ashley, with a quick interruption. If you're listening to this episode and you feel the pull to begin or continue your healing journey, but you're unsure of where to start, or maybe you're just overwhelmed with everything that's out there and available, this is your invitation to join us inside of the Rise and Thrive Tribe. Each month, I'll be dropping themed content in the form of video trainings, integration workbooks, and so much more so that you can focus on just one part at a time. The Rise and Thrive Tribe will be your new community of other women taking an active stance in their healing journeys, and you can come with your questions, your worries, and your hearts. Oh, and the first 100 women inside will get a wheel spin and a chance to win over $1,300 worth of prizes. So come and join us for just $11 a month. See you inside.
getting over those people pleasing tendencies, you know, it's, it's a lot, but it can be done. And, you know, it has to be in those baby steps. If you try to go too hard and like do too many things, it's going to backfire on you or it's going to be too overwhelming. And then you're just going to stop and you're going to be worse off than you were before. So thank you for sharing that story with us. Can you share maybe a couple of solutions for somebody who's listening if they want to start regulating their nervous system? Yes, absolutely. I love this part of what I do because there are ways that you can feel better immediately and get your left brain to come back online. You can invite your your body to come out of survival mode right now, right here. And even if you don't even necessarily have time or space or energy to clear out the other beliefs underneath, you could at least have a moment of clarity today. And then in the long term, if you want to stop going into survival mode, that's where you want to clear out the old memories and the old beliefs. But for today, like my top strategy for helping people feel better today is my 3S framework. So the 3S framework, this is what I was featured in Forbes for because I use it to teach people self-compassionate time management, self-compassionate boundary setting, you know, just anything that's going to trigger your mind into that survival place. We can use the three S's. So the first S is safety. So when you're in a moment where you notice, okay, like I'm in survival mode, it could be that you're, you don't remember a time. I have a new client who just started working with me a couple months ago. And she's like, I literally don't remember a time when I wasn't in survival mode. So I don't even know what it feels like to not be. So her first assignment was just like very basic. Like, let's figure out if we could help you calm that survival mode. So when you're in survival mode, safety is the number one thing. Now, you don't have to leave the toxic relationship. You don't have to, you know, cut off your family of origin. You don't have to do any of those things in the moment. In the moment, the most important thing is to get a break from the trigger. So if you're in an emotionally triggering situation, something that feels unsafe to your brain, something that's causing you stress, if you notice you're procrastinating, if you notice that you're people pleasing, if you notice that you're, you know, feeling social anxiety, any of those things, that's just your body communicating. Oh, we need a little break. So this is how I have people do a break. So if you can excuse yourself out of the room, or if you're in a place where you're by yourself and you can do this by yourself, it's great. And we just take three big, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. Do you want to do one with me right now? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so I like to put my hand over my heart because it feels nurturing to me. Not everyone likes that, but if if you like it, if you're listening and that feels good to you, go ahead. And if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes to do this. I like to close my eyes. So we go ahead and we just breathe in through the nose as deeply as possible. Open the mouth and let it go. And then breathe in through the nose. Filling up every available space. Open your mouth and exhale. And one more big deep breath in through the nose. Deepest breath you've taken all day. And open your mouth and let everything go. You can gently blink your eyes open. So just three deep breaths because you're not going to do that if you're running away from something, right? You're not going to stop and take a nice, big, slow breath. The survival brain understands breath. It understands bringing systems back online that you didn't have online when you were in survival mode a minute ago. So safety just means conveying to your brain, there's no wild animal. I, I literally have a client who she just always says to herself, there's no bear, there's no bear there's no bear. <laughs> and it's like, whatever works for you, you know, like she has a little sign. On her computer. <laughs> I'll usually say like, I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. And you know, it's been 14 years since I left my relationship, but now that I know about how triggers affect me. And I think in the body keeps a score, he said, if you can slow down your breathing, you can slow down the rest of your body. And so that is always my go-to as well. There was a time where I was walking down the street in the middle of the day and they were doing construction on the road, but I was walking to a shop and there's like six construction guys and they all were eating lunch and they turned and stared at me all at the same time when I'm walking alone on the street. And immediately I felt my heart start to raise. I started to sweat and I had to focus on my breath and say things like, I am safe. I am safe at all. And also things like, 
They're not going to attack you in the middle of the day. They're perfectly nice men. They're just eating their lunch. You're the only person on the street. And that is why they looked at you. And I had to rationalize with my brain. And I was able to slow down my breathing and slow down the rest of my body and not go into that full blown trigger and survival mode. And that was only like eight months ago. So it was recently. And so, yeah, I love just the breathing. It's intentional focus and calming down your whole body. Yes, absolutely. And that calm allows you access to your left brain, which will help you decide what to do next. That's really the brilliant thing. I tell my clients, anytime that you're in a trigger, the goal is not to solve the trigger. The goal is not to eradicate the trigger. The goal is to feel safe and calm so that you can have access to your left brain and figure out what to do about the trigger. So we never try and solve it in the middle of a heated argument with an abuser, in the middle of a moment where you're feeling unsafe. We don't try and solve it. We just try and get to safety as quickly as possible. And then just take a few minutes for yourself if you can. Now, sometimes, you know, it might be at work or something and it's your boss that's putting pressure on and there's not a way for you to kind of get through it in that moment and, and like, tell your boss, no, I'm not going to stand here and listen to you. I have to get away. So depending on your situation, you may have to alter it, but getting somewhere and taking those three deep breaths is the most important thing. And that's, what's going to get you through. And then the second S is self-care. And I, I feel like self-care has kind of lost its luster because people have used this so much. And so I feel like self-nurturing is maybe a better way to think about it. So anything that feels nurturing to your body. So once you feel safe, once your breathing is slowed, then you can actually nurture yourself. So I tell my clients, focus on your five senses. Do one thing that you like to see, like my, I was going to show you, but this is a podcast. So <laughs> everyone else won't be able to see. You can see my flowers. I keep flowers. I keep fresh flowers. I buy myself fresh flowers every week when they're on sale at, at, at the market. Like I... You know, I do something nice for my sight. I do something nice for my, that's a fragrance. You know, I love the smell of flowers. Some people don't, and you could find your own things. Smell, sight, taste, touch, and sound. Find something for all of those that will just upgrade your experience a little bit in that moment. It could be easy. It could be like lotion. I will say too, like I always keep a warm cup of tea when the weather doesn't, isn't terrible for what hot tea and tea is four out of the five senses. Just do that. You knocked out four out of five, <laughs> you get an A plus, you can go for it. And then the third S is safe support. So one of the things that I teach my clients when they first get with me is let's talk about red light people, yellow light people, and green light people. So I teach them the relationship stoplight. And when we figure that out, like what, who are the green light people for you? Then we lean on those green light people. So a fear might look like this with the three S's, heated discussion with somebody, hang up the phone as quickly and as politely as possible go to the restroom, take three big deep breaths, look in the mirror, ask myself what I need. I go make a cup of tea, come sit down, light a candle, call my bestie. I just had a really rough dis discussion with this person in my family of origin or with you know my partner or whatever it was. You care if we chat for a second. The brain thinks if you're isolated, that you're, you've been siphoned off from the herd, that you are going to be in danger of being picked off by a predator. So if you're, if you feel connected, if your secure attachment center is engaged with somebody that loves you and cares about you, then your brain will be a lot le less likely to go straight back into survival mode. So that's really helpful. So those are the three S's. Wow. That is so interesting. Oh my gosh. I have never heard that before. And that is just, it's so crazy that <laughs> our brain that was created, you know, thousands and millions of years ago, it's like still running the show and things have changed so much. And, you know, it's not really ideal for right now. Like I was talking to someone the other day about how we're constantly bombarded with news, like of the entire world, and we're not meant to be able to handle all of it. And so that's why it's so hard for a lot of people. And that was one of my my first things that I did is I stopped watching the news when I had just gotten out of my relationship because it was so triggering and everything I read, I'd just cry because I felt the pain from it. And that is so crazy. So interesting. I love that. The, the trauma brain, the, the survival brain, it, it takes in everything as a personal threat. So in the world of the internet, in the world of I can listen to news at any time, night or day, I can open my phone in the middle of the night and scroll Instagram and see things and whatever, be processing stuff that's really intense. 
I mean, the survival brain just doesn't really know what to do. It thinks it's all happening to, to you. The brain can't tell the difference, which is why it's wonderful to practice meditation, to practice mindfulness, to practice, you know, doing exercises with a coach, with a strategist, a therapist, so that your brain can be experiencing safety and having that be the new neuro pathway that you're forming so that you can keep yourself safe going forward. Oh my gosh. That's, I'm just like so <laughs> flabbergasted right now. Like that is amazing. Oh my God. Yay. Wow. There's so much hope, everybody. There's so there much is. hope. It's and wonderful. It's, it's like the more, you know, the more, you know, it's awesome. Yes. Okay. So I feel like we talked about this a little bit, but what would you suggest to someone as, you know, like some first baby steps that they can take towards starting to heal? So noticing and observing is the best place to start. So even if you just, I I had like an aversion to journaling because I had journaled my whole life and I always felt guilty when I didn't do it. So then I didn't want to ever do it. But if you have somewhere that you can document, even just how you're feeling, even just do little tiny things to start building a track record that says you're going to take care of your body. That is a really wonderful way to begin speaking to your survival brain. So just by like, I have a water bottle that tells me, you know, my glass water bottle tells me, okay, 8am let's go. It has like a little, and then it has a marker. And then it says like 9am keep going. And so I know how much I'm drinking. I'm tracking how much I'm drinking of my water and it's cute. And it's my favorite color. And you know, and it's glass. you're brave. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't have little people around the house anymore. My son's holding oh, okay. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're looking at me with a three and a half year old and you're like, um, that was like, happen. oh my God, that would break in like two seconds in this house. No, actually it's like really, really super sturdy too. I've dropped it a few times. It's totally oh. fine. But <laughs> yeah, my like metal ones got all these dents and stuff and the kids are like always throwing those and dropping them on the ground. And of course, I know. I remember that phase. I remember. So just little things like remember to drink your water put. I mean, this sounds so ridiculous. If you're dealing with the aftermath of an abusive relationship, just stay hydrated. You'll be fine. But what, what the goal of this is to begin stringing together little tiny acts of service towards your own body that will catch your survival brain's attention and say, oh, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to keep you safe. You're talking to your own vessel, to your own brain, to your own emotions. And you're saying, look at the little things I'm doing to take care of you. Once you've built that track record, then you start getting your gut instincts back online. Most of the time, if you've been through an abusive relationship, I recommend working with a professional, whether it's a trauma therapist or working with someone like what I do to actually make sure that you have the support that you need. Because when the left brain has been offline, because you've been in survival mode for a long time, it's difficult to stay on track, number one, because the brain fog is real. And number two, it's really hard to stay on track without the proper support because our inner critic will eat us alive. So having that safe professional, someone like me or a therapist, like I said, the flash technique therapist to kind of come alongside you and say, hey, and I also recommend being in a community of women who are healing as well. Like what you're building with this podcast is amazing, you know, and like I have a membership that does this to a certain extent with people just healing from trauma in general. So it's like, find your people if you can. And sometimes that's too much and that's okay. Don't be hard on yourself, but start stringing together those little tiny decisions that will help your body know that it's going to be taken care of. Yeah. And it's like the same thing with rebuilding, you know, your confidence and your self-worth. It's just doing it one time and proving it to yourself. Then you start to think, oh, okay, I did that. So maybe I can do this too. And just doing one thing after the other. And then pretty soon you get really brave and confident. And so I think it's so important. I love that. And I love that you said the community because I've been doing some market research because I want to start my own little mini membership for the podcast. It's probably running. If you're listening to this episode right now, the one thing that they wanted the most, like everyone said that they wanted a community of people who were doing the work. And I think it's because being in a toxic and abusive relationship, you get isolated and they keep you from seeing your friends and your family and you feel so alone. And also after you feel like this shame and the guilt around being in it or being sad about it or having, you know, having all these issues, not a lot of people 
are celebrating healing it, right? It's like we celebrate all these other healthy things, but for some reason, we don't want to talk about healing from trauma. And so I think it's so important to have that community while you are healing because you can see that other people are doing it too, and they can be there for you when you need them. So. And it takes away the stigma for having gone through the abuse or the trauma. I mean, that's the thing. Coming out of an abusive relationship, I remember feeling like I am a completely capable, independent, strong, competent woman in every other area of my life, but I have become a shell of myself. And I'm so embarrassed. Like, how did this happen to me? How did I not see it? How did I put up with it, like how all of those things. And it's stuff that my clients go through too. And it's like, nope, this was a normal response to an abnormal environment. And so how, like you said, I love that you're building that community. Keep me in, in touch. I want to, I want to know more about your, your membership. I think that's going to be wonderful. But what I've noticed is that the women who are coming forward in their healing processes from trauma are really strong, smart, capable women. And once they understand that this is not a black mark on any of that, this is just a thing that they went through, that they had a normal response to, that now they're recovering from, come on in, the water is fine, is kind of how we how we treat it now. It's like, that's great. It's amazing that you're healing. All right. Will you share with us how people can work with you? Where can they find you? All the yes, absolutely. I would love for anyone who's listening to come follow me on Instagram and come and drop a DM. If you DM me the word thrive, I'll know that you heard me through Ashley's podcast and I'm going to send you a little special gift. And also over on my Instagram, you'll see my, I have a free community over there. I have a membership. You can just see everything. If there's anything that I can do that will help you. So at your best moment is now is my handle there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And the last question that I like to ask everyone who comes on is what is your best piece of advice for a woman who's maybe just leaving a toxic relationship? If I could just say one thing, it would be to have as much grace, acceptance, and self-compassion on yourself as you possibly can, and then take it up a notch (laughs) and then more. Because the biggest thing that stops us from healing is shame. And the best thing that sets us free is eventual self-love. So powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alyssa, so much for being here today. This was so informative for me. (laughs) And I know it's going to be so informative for everyone else. And make sure that you guys subscribe and like and share this episode. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please make sure that you rate and review and share this podcast if you loved it, if you found it valuable. And I will see you next week.